are entering the Freedom Hut. We're just hours away from the Mueller report getting released. D.C. and the country are on edge, at least the people that care about the truth about Russia collusion and obstruction. Did any of this happen? Is the president exonerated? We'll dive into that, plus the latest mess at the border and the media's new love affair with Pete Buda, our Mayor Pete Buttigieg. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This, this is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Ready. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Uh, there was absolutely spying into my campaign. Uh, I'll go a step further. In my opinion, it was illegal spying, unprecedented spying, and something that should never be allowed to happen in our country again. And I think his answer was actually a very accurate one, and a lot of people saw that. And a lot of people understand, many, many people understand the situation and want to be open to that situation. Hard to believe it could have happened, but it did. There was spying in my campaign. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. We are getting down to the wire here for Mueller time, everybody. It's going to be Mueller time. You're going to see this report. It's going to be 400 pages minus like 100 or so redactions. I kind of wish they would just release one page that says no collusion, no obstruction, total exoneration, and then hashtag MAGA, and then 399 blacked out pages <laughs> just to see liberals completely freak out. It would just be funny. I, mean, I know that that's not good for transparency in government, but it would be entertaining because they're they are hoping it's hope. There are people who feel like tomorrow is going to be their moment of vindication after the the crushing defeat and the the ignominious shaming that they took in the re- release of the overview the the summary findings from attorney general barr that there were no charges that there would be no criminal charges that there are a lot of democrats a lot of liberals who are clinging to this to this belief that there'll be something, even though there won't, there's no charges. We know that. We know how the movie ends, right? We know that the hero, in this case Trump, rides off into the sunset after clearing out the town. But we don't know every little detail. Um, there are going to be a lot of people who are incredibly invested in inflating every detail that comes up as though it's a bombshell. Oh, you're going to hear the show. Oh, a bombshell, right? They're going to say this about... Something that's probably more accurately described as a BB from a BB gun. It's not a bombshell. There's a lot of reportage right now, which I guess is just a fancy word for reporting, about people who are concerned that what they said to the special counsel will be held against them by Trump if they said anything that was unflattering or that made the president look bad. You know, such is life. I mean, I think that that's, that wouldn't surprise me. Anybody who says bad things about Trump, the special counsel, you know, the the other part of that for me is working for the White House isn't a job for life, folks. You know, you can go do other things. If the president's annoyed at you, go go find something else to do. You got to speak truthfully to special counsel. It it is what it is. If you said the president's uh, looking like a buffoon on this issue or something, you're going to have to own that. So that reporting doesn't really surprise me. Doesn't surprise me. Um, 
will that happen or not? I don't know. It depends on what's what's blacked out, what's not. Here are the certainties about the report tomorrow. The libs will cry and whine about the no matter what the redactions are, whether it's you know one page or a hundred pages, they will say that the the redactions are the holy grail of Russia Trump collusion and obstruction. That there's going to be a whole bunch of folks that that's what they say. That's where they're going to go. Just like when the findings came out from Barr, it was all, oh, well, where's the full report? Where's the full report? Now the full report will come out and say, well, what about the redactions? What about the redactions? They're, they're never, the president knows this. Everyone knows it. They're never satisfied because it's not about being satisfied. It's about hating the president. It's about indulging Trump derangement syndrome like a bunch of lunatics. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to try to make political uh, hay out of this. They're going to try to elevate themselves on the political scene by forging some narrative of this president maybe isn't criminally charged, but is unfit to be in office because of what's found in that report. They're, they're going to go for something on obstruction. There will be, and I, you know, this is fun to make these predictions, and if I'm right, I'll definitely re- revisit tomorrow what I've said today, because that's always good. There will be a, a movement, I believe, among Democrats— uh, to to say that a different prosecutor would have brought obstruction charges against Trump. That's that's going to be and and they're going to say and see just you guys complained about how Hillary got the pass. Well, Trump got the pass this time. They're gonna they're gonna try to to cover up the the massive injustice of giving Hillary a free pass on violations of classification protocols that she absolutely did. There's no question. It was criminal. It was reckless, which is in the statute. Comey had to change the language so they could create a false, not even exoneration, but just a false get-out-of-jail-free card for her. Um, They're going to try to say that these two things are similar and that the only thing that saved Trump was the discretion of Barr and Mueller and Maybe Mueller just didn't want to put the country through that. That's what they'll say. That's what, you know, Mueller's a, you know, he's a good man, but he didn't want to put the country through that. So, but somebody else would have. So Trump, therefore, should be subject to impeachment proceedings in the House, and they're going to make this whole big deal of it. It's not going to go very far, I think. I mean, maybe they will get to the point of impeachment. I think that would blow back on them. But what a an inversion of reality you're going to see occur tomorrow. I mean, not if you listen to this show and if you pay attention to people who have been right all along. And, and I do think that there's some degree of victory dance that you and I need to take here because we've been right on this all along. I have never had to come on this show once in the last two years and say, whoa, I was way off on that, that aspect of the Russia collusion story, guys. Sorry about that. You know, I really misread that. Nope, never happened. And many of the things that I've told you have been borne out by the facts. And many of the things that you've sent me, many of your ideas and, and analysis and thoughts, they have, um, they have been correct. So we've been right all along. Remember that as we go in tomorrow. They've been wrong. We've been right. They've been pushing narratives that are false time and time again. And now tomorrow they're going to do the same thing because the media are a bunch of of unrepentant partisan frauds. And I promise you, they have learned nothing, nothing whatsoever 
from the debacle of the last two years of their anti-Trump coverage, their collusion with former Obama administration officials to concoct some cockamamie story about how the president worked with the Russians to steal the election. I mean, the whole thing is just insane. The media did it. They don't care that they were wrong. They're going to try to do it again tomorrow. Tomorrow we move into the, oh, but obstruction equals impeachment phase. That's what I see happening. They're not going to say it right away. They say, oh, no, we need more investigation. You see, they love investigation. They love abusing the legitimate processes of the government to just extract pain and punishment from people because they're vindictive because they don't act in good faith, because the left has been overtaken by radicals who do not look at our side. They do not look at Republicans in the era of Trump as people worthy of respect, people worthy of some additional consideration, a friendly outstretched hand. No, none of that. They want to crush us. They want to humiliate us. They want to destroy that which we are trying to build through the Trump agenda for the American people. And all of this will will come to a head tomorrow. Uh, there will be a lot of people that say that the, the fix was in. Um, there will be a lot of people who claim that Barr has acted improperly in some way. And yet... This process has been as transparent as it can be. In fact, today it was just reported that the DOJ is planning to let some lawmakers view the Mueller report without certain redactions. So there will be an additional level of access for some lawmakers to see even more. Will it be all? I don't think so. Will it be everything? No. But they're going to try to show them as much as they can. They're going to try to make this as as open as possible so that it at least dampens what is going to be just a cacophony of partisan shrieking on this whole issue. I mean, they're, they're going to just say, oh, my gosh, our democracy is destroyed because of this and all, all kinds of stuff. What I'm interested in is finding out when we get some retaliation here, when we get reciprocity, at least. When the people that push this whole thing, and remember, not without cost, send people to prison, cost people a ton of money in legal bills, ruined careers, ruined lives, broke up families. Yeah, that's right. They separated people from their families, sent them to prison. All because they hate Trump so much. I want to know when we get to find out those answers. You know, just remember the Democrats who are all about radical transparency right now. I mean, the Democrats in the Judiciary and Oversight Committees are... All of a sudden, like a bunch of little Assanges, just, oh, show us everything. No redactions allowed. Release it all. Are they going to say that when it comes to the origin documentation for this investigation? When it becomes very clear that this was always about investigating Trump. They try to dance around it and say it was about Russia, Russia interference and it was about and then it was about obstruction. This was always an effort to use the resources of the federal government in a deep state effort to conduct a soft coup, the removal of a president, because people think he's icky, he's gross, they don't like him. And the Comeys and the McCaves and the Strucks and the Pages and, and the Brennans and the Clappers of the world, they think that they know better than you 
And because they know so much better than you, they had a right to undo what we did by voting for this president. There needs to be an accounting of this. There needs to be justice. Tomorrow is not going to be that day because tomorrow is only the prosecutor's view. Tomorrow they get to lay bare after two years, unlimited resources, all of their efforts to get Trump, not to exonerate him, not to prepare an, an honest both sides report. This is a massive taxpayer funded oppo document that they're going to drop for the whole country to read tomorrow. So remember that too, that this is not an even this is not even handed. This is there's no defense counsel that gets to weigh in here. There's no cross-examination. There's no challenging of Mueller's findings about different witnesses. This is all opposition research. Using the the the, the prism and the resources of the FBI, the federal government, the Department of Justice. It's appalling. It's appalling what has happened here. This is the biggest political scandal of my lifetime. And it has done more to damage the any sense that I can have good faith in not just the Democrats, but in some of these federal government institutions that are overrun with partisan Democrats. I don't know if I'll ever be able to look at them the same way. And I really mean that. The only way that we can begin to repair this relationship between the permanent bureaucracy the Democrat Party has uh, granted an opposition party to us, but at least something that I would like to be able to respect how they do their business. The only way is if we get the answers that we need here, which won't come tomorrow, but will come at some point in the future if Attorney General Barr gets his way, I believe. I think Barr knows that spying on a presidential campaign, which is what Obama appointees did, is a big deal. There must be accountability for it, and there must be an attempt to get justice. We also have my friend Andy McCarthy joining. He'll tell us uh, later on in the show what his expectations are for this report. Mayor Pete Buttigieg is the uh, flavor of the moment for the Democrat media. They're all they're all hearts aflutter over Buttigieg, so we'll talk about what that looks like, where that's going. Got some additional uh, updates for you on the border and a pretty important decision by the Department of Justice and by Attorney General Barr that might change things up a bit about how long they can detain asylum seekers. And then what happened to Beto O'Rourke? We'll get into that later on. Beto saying crazy things. Not very generous. Not not a big giver of uh, of charitable donation, Beto O'Rourke, for a very wealthy guy. At least he married very wealthy. That's a fun thing to do, I guess. That works out. We have a packed show, team. We'll be right back. I'll bet you can't find a single person tomorrow that will tell you his or her opinion has changed on President Trump or on the House Democrats. This is going to be an evidentiary summary uh, without a verdict. Um, So I I, I never had a trial where there wasn't evidence on both sides. But at some point, someone has to say the more credible evidence is on this side. Um, and, And that has to be a jury that hasn't already made up its mind. Who in this country has not already made up its mind? I can't find anyone. So tomorrow's going to do nothing except validate whatever your previously held conviction is, which is why I'm not a fan of releasing Just the Just come back to Russia. Important that we all prepare ourselves for that, right? You know, there was a bit of a, we, look, we had some fun dunking on liberals for a few days there because the no charges thing, that's a, 
a definitive, objective reality. No charges means no charges. Even libs can't make no charges into charges. But tomorrow what they're going to do is make no charges into maybe there could have been charges. That's what they're going to do. Everyone who doesn't like Trump is going to see something in this report tomorrow that confirms why they don't like Trump and why Trump should have been charged but wasn't. Oh, maybe not all of them will go that far, but they'll all say that there's something unseemly. I've been hearing that one part of the report that may be interesting is that there were overtures from the Russians to the Trump campaign that the Trump campaign rebuffed. You know, I've been seeing for a while that, you know, or I've been hearing for a while that that's one part of this that may be interesting for people to hear. The Trump was they were like, what, Russia? No, come on. I don't know if that will be in there. That's just what I've that's what I've been told by sources that tend to know these things. Um, But we'll see what they have tomorrow. I'm going to read the whole report. Yay me before I go on radio. I'm going to try to at least. It depends on what the redactions are like. I may I may pass out, but I got my black rifle. It's going to get me fired up. You know, I'm going to have plenty of energy to read through this report. Uh, But people are not going to not going to change their minds on this. That's for sure. There's not going to be any any honesty from the uh, Democrat media all of a sudden that that pops up like, oh, you know what? We were wrong all along. You know, we should give back those Pulitzers that we have for our Russia reporting uh, on on the Russia collusion stuff. And, you know, maybe CNN should actually hire some conservatives and treat them like normal people and put them on TV and not just uh, go through this pretense of being a news organization when they're just the media arm of the DNC. You know, none of that's going to happen. That I can promise you. So we already know what expectations are going to be like. We already know what the, uh, or rather, we, we know what positions are going to be after this, generally speaking. And now it's just a question of how crazy the Dems go over this, how much they, uh, they inflate and overreach whatever is actually in the report and make it, try to make it sound like it's so much worse than it is. Uh, but overall, I, I think that you're just going to see them claiming that there's stuff there that's not there. They're going to say, oh, well, because between the redactions and their reading between the lines, they're going to sleuth their way to, oh, that's right. Trump should have been charged, but he wasn't. He got away with it. He got the Jussie Smollett treatment from Mueller. That's what they're going to say. I don't think so. And there he was yesterday, front and center, now third in the polls with a speech that many have said are historic. He's inspirational so far, and that's that's something that, that voters absolutely want. He has this appeal for a lot of reasons. He is a veteran. Uh, he is openly gay. He is from Indiana. He is honest. He speaks from the heart. He seems like he's a lot about empathy here. You are a concert pianist. Yeah. You speak many languages, including Norwegian, that you learned because you wanted to read a book. A real renaissance man. He's like Beto's smarter brother a little bit. And he's so smart to try to channel Obama. The second coming of Obama. Obama, huh? We'll see about that. My prayers may have been answered if that's true. The draw to this point has been young, fresh, positive, and a change agent. This guy is chicken soup for my soul. Yeah, second coming of Obama. <laughs> I don't, I don't think that's how I would describe uh, Pete Buttigieg. But I, I aspire one day to uh to you know marry a woman who talks about me the way that the media talks about Pete Buttigieg right now it may change they may turn on him if they need to one thing we know about the media is they're not not high on integrity or loyalty that much is for sure 
But man, do they love some Pete Buttigieg right now. Oh, he's this, he's that, he's so smart, he's incredible, he's amazing. Uh, he's also a leftist, folks. He's also a leftist. That that has to be. And, and I, I will say this. I, I can't say that you're, you know, you're not intelligent if you're a leftist. Obviously, that would be far too sweeping. That would be unfair. That would be untrue. But I can't say that it shows a tremendous lack of judgment. And judgment is a more important thing for a politician than baseline knowledge. You know, your ability to make decisions about what matters is a more important skill than your ability to recite Norwegian poetry. So the fact that he's a leftist is all I really have to know to understand that he does not make good decisions, especially about politics, about major policy issues. Uh, the media fawning over him is very interesting because this guy, what, what you've seen is I think the first, uh, the first, if, if this is like the Hunger Games, you know, Beto just took the, the weapons that were, I'm sorry, Buttigieg took the weapons that were supposed to be Beto's. You know, he's grabbing his lane and he's taking all of his toys and he's running with them. I think that Beto is uh, all of a sudden going to fade out. Uh, I think he's going to fade out pretty quickly because you have this young guy who is, you know, Beto can, as much as we have to like use this nickname for him and everything else, he's not interesting from the diversity perspective. He's not interesting from the perspective of intersectionality and, and wokeness. And he can try as, as hard as he wants. But at, at least in the eyes of leftists, Buttigieg is LBGT. So that gives him some additional credibility and, and desirability as a, a Democrat candidate. Oh, but man, the, the media loves Buttigieg. And I was just out in Indiana visiting my whoa, whoa folks. If you're listening on whoa, whoa, high five to you. Thank you for uh, tuning in. But I was out in Indiana and I was hearing from a lot of different folks about how they just think that you know, Buttigieg, for all the fancy resume stuff, for all the things you hear about how great he is on, on in this or that skill, you know, he's, oh, he's a Rhodes Scholar. I don't know, people say, oh, Buck, come on, but Rhodes Scholars. Bill Clinton was a Rhodes Scholar, too. I spent almost as much time studying ladies as I did studying books. You know, Bill Clinton is a guy that, everyone always talks about how smart he is and how amazing he is. I don't know, I thought it's, the guy always struck me as, Kind of a cheesy salesman. But anyway, uh, Mayor Pete, though, if he's going to win, is going to have to be a, is going to have to be a far left guy. And that's why he's trying to pick this fight with with Mike Pence. And Mike Pence isn't really taking taking the bait so far. But he keeps saying, oh, you know, Mike Pence, you know, you know my my creator made me this way. And he wants to create this kind of theological rift with Mike Pence so that it highlights his status as a member of the LGBT community, and he creates a, a kind of wokeness for himself that will translate into more leftists who will support him in the different, you know, different, pri uh, different primary uh, contests ahead. That's what is happening here. That's what he's doing. And that's also why you have somebody who went to Harvard and is now, you know, the mayor of a town in, in Indiana. Although I would say that I, I hear that South Bend is having a rough time. I, I, I haven't been there. I don't know. But South Bend is not all just Notre Dame fight songs and beer drinking and, you know, jolly good times. South Bend's apparently got some rough stuff happening. But Mayor Pete, because he's going to appeal to the left. Yeah. Producer Mike, what is South Bend like? You've been there. Tell me. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little rough. I've actually been there a few times uh, recently for 
some events and a football game. And uh, it's outside, right off the campus of Notre Dame. It, it's a rough town. It looks like it's uh, there's it's struggling. It don't look too. Yeah, uh, this is what. Yeah, this is what I've been told. You know, I, I think my my sense of it has always just been, oh well, Notre Dame is there, so it must be a nice college town. But it turns out it's not so. It's kind of a rundown place. But Mayor Pete is going to be the guy that now the the media is infatuated with at least for a, a, a few days, maybe a few weeks, and so he's going to start to try to build the momentum here. And how do you build momentum as a Democrat? That's right. Appeal to envy, appeal to class warfare, appeal to denigrating the American dream and suggesting that the only way that we can restore the American dream for people is if you put Democrat socialists in the, in the White House and in Congress and in control. The only way it can be done Mayor Pete, who you would think would know better, uh, he, you know, it always reminds me, whenever I say Mayor Pete, I, I feel like it can, I get confused for a second. I think of my friend Major Pete, who's uh, Pete Hegseth over at Fox News, and he's a major. Uh, but it's not, Ma- it's not Major Pete, it's Mayor Pete, darn it. But Mayor Pete, uh, he's willing to trash capitalism if that appeals to the left. Play clip one. Well, I think the reason we're having this argument over socialism and capitalism is that capitalism has led a lot of people down. I guess what I'm out there to say is that it doesn't have to be so. I believe in democratic capitalism, but the democratic part is extremely important. Capitalism has let people down. This is demagoguery from Pete Buttigieg. He is too smart to think that that's a smart thing to say. He is too capable a human being and has too much of an understanding of the history of global economics and, and the American economic miracle to think that that's, that's a, a, an important or, or a, a worthwhile thing to say. I mean, every economic system is going to let people down at some level. There's no such thing as an economic system that's not going to let people down. But capitalism is better than what? What are the alternatives? Socialism, feudalism, mercantilism, communism. What are we really offering in its place? I mean, to say that capitalism has let people down is like saying that America or the, the legal system of this country has let people down. I mean, of course it has. But why, why take that position now? And by the way, there's no future in which there aren't going to be people, no matter what you do. I mean, if if Trump got every bill through and signed and Congress was all MAGA and everything was great and fun, there'd still be people that are let down by the system because ultimately government is not there to be failure insurance for all of us. You know, government is not there just to be the the thing that we blame when we don't get our way. Government can't protect you from your decisions. They, they might pretend that they can. They might pretend that, you know, if only, you know, we had a single payer health care, if only we had this or that, everything would be fine. But people make bad choices. People run into bad luck. Things happen. Life is not fair. Democrats seem to be running in opposition to the reality that we all know exists, which is that, yeah, people have disparate gifts that they're given at birth. I wish I was, you know, six, five. I think that would be fun. I'm not. I'm six feet. And by that, I mean 5'11 and three quarters. 
You know, but I, you know, it's just, it's unfair. I wish I were six, four. I wish I was born with a billion dollars in the bank or whatever. It's just not reality. And there are some things where I think the government's let me down, like the big check I had to write earlier this week, but there are other things where, you know, that's on me. I probably shouldn't have taken that expensive vacation, put something on a credit card. You know, we government is not there. I, I keep saying this because it's important to be your friend, to keep you safe and warm at night. The government is there to protect rights and allow for the free flow of commerce. That's basically it. Protect us, protect our rights, let us engage in the business of the American people, which should be business. Capitalism lets people down. This is just demagoguery because it's, it's meaningless. It is utterly meaningless. And in an era where socialism is being offered as a replacement, I think it's also reckless. With regard to abortion, do you believe that a woman should be able to terminate a pregnancy up until the moment of birth? Look, I think that that happens very, very rarely. And I think this is being made into a political issue. Okay? So I think it's rare. It's being made into a political issue. But at the end of the day, I believe that the decision over abortion belongs to a woman and a physician, not the federal government, not the state government, and not the local government. I know we, we played that yesterday. That was from the Fox Town Hall. And I took issue right away with the, the, the claim that Bernie Sanders makes that, oh, it's rare. It's rare. That, that is meaningless. You know, major terrorist attacks are also rare. doesn't make them okay. Uh, there's n- there's no moral uh, there, there's no moral weight to the claim that something is rare, therefore it's okay. Uh, this is this is a falsehood. But and the fact that there are people in that room who who were you know cheering this on is is honestly just appalling. But it's a reminder, folks. Even you know, cuddly Bernie Bear. Here I am. I just want to hug. So I'm kind of like Yogi Bear. Uh, they're pushing ideas on all of us and policies and government mandates and the force of law. They're doing this in ways that are deeply immoral and destructive. We should not just allow this to go forward without being challenged thoroughly and completely. You know, I think that Bernie kind of got away with that. A little bit. That's why I'm bringing up again today. I, I that was not an okay answer. That was not acceptable. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm gonna. You know, it, it's the easiest thing in the world. Should should abortion up to the moment of birth be legal? The answer is no. Unless you are a complete barbarian with no moral compass whatsoever, the answer is no. I'm not. This isn't a debate about you know uh, six weeks and rape and incest and all these other things that liberals like to bring up and talk about. You know, what six weeks or eight weeks or moment of conception? No, no, no. Those are all other debates I'm, ha- I'm happy to have. This is, it's a baby. It could live on its own outside the womb. It's a baby inside a mother's womb. It, it, does this deserve protection as a human being? The answer is an unequivocal yes. Anything else is immoral. Anything else is wrong. It is just wrong. Bernie can't give the right answer on this. Why? Because the Democrats are extremists on this issue. I was happy to see that Kellyanne Conway came out and came out swinging on this. Play 13. They don't even like when the, when the question is raised because they know it's a losing issue for them. The legislation that the Democrats voted against recently again and again is called the Born Alive Abortion Survivor Protections Act. Democrats, including Bernie Sanders, 
vote against that. So that is unconscionable to many Americans. And we will continue to fight for reasonable restrictions and regulations okay. that are in line with, um, with a country that should value life. That's right. A country that should value life. This is where I have to say we are... We're beginning to win, I think, the ideological battle on this one, but legally we're still in very bad shape. That that we're having a national discussion about whether or not terminating babies in the third trimester, up to and including the moment of birth or even post-birth, disposal of a baby, which is what Democrats sometimes are willing to uh, approve just goes to show you that that this issue, we have gone so far in the wrong direction, and it is so uh, appalling. It is, in fact, demonic what is going on in this country. And there is, I think, somewhere among the Democrat intelligentsia, I think there's an understanding that eventually when when the American people fully wake up to what has been going on here, uh, this will be like that the Democrats were the party of slavery. The Democrats being the party of abortion will be a moral stain on them for all eternity. And they're just trying to forestall that for as long as possible. In fact, if they can, they want to forestall that until at least they can get mass amnesty and a permanent Democrat majority. So then it'll just be kind of a national reconciliation thing of, well, you know, the left, the Democrats are all in charge. We're now a, a Democrat socialist country. And yeah, you know, abortion for all nine months for all those years is probably not a good thing, but you know, we're going to move on as a country now and there's going to be some restrictions. I don't think it'll ever, I don't think Democrats will ever accept, uh, even if it goes back to the states, if Roe were to be overturned, um, total restrictions on abortion. But I I do think there will be restrictions. I think we're we're heading in that direction. The science is just, it is uh, is entirely um, un, or rather indefensible to suggest that we don't know that it's a human being in the womb at, you know, eight months, nine months, seven months, six months. You go back. Uh, Science is very clear on that. The party of science is also the party of men can become women and babies aren't babies. This is quite a circumstance that they have put themselves in. Um, And the only way they can, I think, deal with themselves as a party and sleep at night is to suggest that this is not, uh, this is not what it is. That the what the obvious truths that I'm talking to you about right now somehow don't count or aren't real or you know I, I don't know what I'm talking about but Bernie Sanders is part of this this radical uh, position on on the issue of abortion and on, on life and the protection of life he's radical on a whole bunch of issues and there are there's real suffering that occurs as a result of this stuff you know the the issue of whether or not we're defending life is very different from the issue of are we paying you know, 35% or 25% or whatever in taxes. Uh, there, there are moral questions that the state handles, and then there are administrative questions that the state handles. I, I would like us to be arguing with the Democrats over much more of the administrative side of things. You know, how, how big should the Department of Health and Human Services be, or should it exist at all? Um, those are the debates I want to have with Democrats. Not should we defend babies in the womb. That's not, that's not a debate that I want, because I, I want us to have already won that debate. I want that to be something the country has moved past. Um, we are not there yet. And Bernie Sanders, Mr. Cuddly Grandpa, he is he is part of the Planned Parenthood system of infant abattoirs, just like all the other Democrats, too. Do not forget that, because they're going to try to cloud the, the moral battleground going forward. This is one place where left and right are truly separated, and Bernie Sanders is on the wrong side of this one, too.
Earlier this year, the Leadership Institute had a field organizer named Hayden Williams who was peacefully helping conservative students recruit out at UC Berkeley. And guess what happened? A leftist thug attacked him and punched him in the face viciously, did real damage. Why? Because he's a conservative. Because that's the mentality, that's the attitude on campus these days. Do you want to take action to help conservatives win the fight for ideas and the right to express those ideas on college campuses? Please, support the Leadership Institute in this battle. Go to TakeBackTheCampus.org. With your gift of as little as $5 a month, you can help conservative college students stand up to the intimidation and physical attacks of radical leftist campus bullies. The left's effort to silence conservatives is going to continue, and it's going to have a profound effect on the future. You can have a role in this fight now. Visit TakeBackTheCampus.org to make your urgent gift to the Leadership Institute today. That's TakeBackTheCampus.org. I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. I'm not suggesting that uh, those rules were violated, but I think it's important to look at that. And I'm not just I'm not talking about the FBI uh, necessarily, but intelligence agencies more broadly. So you're not you're not suggesting, though, that spying occurred. I don't. Uh, well, uh, I guess you could. I, I think there was a spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. Oh, good heavens. The attorney general is just saying what anyone paying attention has known for a long time now, uh, that spying did occur. And we may find out tomorrow the depths of that spying and some of the justifications used for it, much to Democrats' chagrin. What should we be expecting here, folks? And what should we be looking for? We got our friend Andy McCarthy, who is in very high demand at the moment, but he's making some time for us. I don't know if he's coaching a Little League game right now, but he's out on the field somewhere. He is from National Review, of course, and Fox News, former uh, federal prosecutor from the Southern District. Andy, great to have you back. Well, great to be here. My son's pitching today, so I'm a, I'm a nervous spectator. Oh, wow. So you actually are at a baseball game. That was a good guess for me. I'm, uh, look at I me, man, always, using my CIA skills. If I'm, not, Absolutely. If, I'm not a hockey, if I'm not at a hockey game, I'm at a baseball game. So it's all good. Oh, you're living the life, Mr. McCarthy, shuttling back and forth. Hockey, baseball, and Fox News like a good American. That's so my tell me, man, what, what kind of collusion? <laughs> yeah. Tell me what what are you expecting tomorrow? I mean, you know, I think a big part of this is managing expectations from all sides. What do you think we're going to see? Assuming this 400 page thing drops at around 10 a.m., which is what I'm hearing. What are you looking for? Buck, I don't think there's any reason to think that this will be any different than what we have seen for a year and a half in indictments written by the same group of prosecutors, which is. Um, you know, just to take, say, the Roger Stone or the Papadopoulos or the Mike Flynn uh, indictments that they had, what, what we got in those was, you know, somewhere between 10 and 20 pages of heavy breathing about almost collusion, nearly collusion, feels like collusion, and then you flip to the last page and, you know, somebody lied to an FBI agent about the date of a meeting. And what you realize is they have used the pretext or the, the, the need to write a short, what, what in a normal case would be like a one-paragraph indictment of somebody for making a false statement, and they've used that as the pretext for writing a narrative story. And I think the difference tomorrow is you're going to get to the end, and there's going to be nothing in the way of criminal charges, but we're going to get three or 400 pages of almost collusion, almost obstruction, almost this, almost that, but 
you know, we're not going to, at the end of it, I don't think we're going to have much of anything. Somebody just got on base, Andy, so hopefully it's your team. Uh, tell, yeah. tell me this. What, what are you, you know, on the obstruction side, I think that's where Democrats are really very hopeful that they're going to have something to sink their teeth into. But if there's no charges, does it really, does it matter? I mean, what do you, what do you think? I know I'm asking you to kind of look into your crystal ball here a little bit, but it, without any charges, what could they really say? I mean, if, if the evidence was pretty strong, wouldn't they have brought a charge on obstruction? Well, not only that, Buck, but here's why I think this whole thing is farcical from the beginning. And I say this as somebody who was in the system for a very long time and thinks it's a big deal to lie to FBI agents or to lie to Congress or to lie to a grand jury. So I don't I'm not belittling process crimes. I I, I think that people are entitled to say that the process crimes are trivial compared to what was under investigation in the first place. But I'm not I'm not putting down. Uh, process crimes. But here's my question, and it's one I haven't heard an answer to, and it's one I haven't really heard raised nearly enough, which is how on earth does a president obstruct a counterintelligence investigation? You know, criminal investigations are done to do the, to vindicate the rule of law in judicial proceedings. That's the reason we talk about obstruction of justice, because when you lie to an FBI agent or you, you manipulate evidence or witnesses, that can end up perverting a, you know, the eventual judicial proceeding after somebody is indicted. But counterintelligence investigations are done for the president. They're, they're done to gather information in the service of the president's constitutional mission to protect the United States from threats from foreign powers. And... It's the president, not the FBI, not the CIA, not anyone else. It's the president who decides what the intelligence needs of the nation are. So I I don't, for the life of me, understand, since counterintelligence investigations, unlike criminal investigations, really belong to the president and are done for the president, no one has yet explained to me how on earth the president can obstruct a counterintelligence investigation so you know what kind of proceeding is it that that this investigation you know even even took place to to vindicate i i heard uh mccabe the deputy uh the then deputy fbi director i guess he was the acting fbi director when the investigation when he opened the investigation against the president and i i heard remarkably on 60 minutes him say that he was concerned that the president was interfering with the fbi's counterintelligence investigation of Russia. And I'm, I'm thinking, was he absent from school the day that they taught that the, it's the FBI that, that does counterintelligence for the president, not the, the other way around? I mean, I, I just, I don't get it. How rogue, Andy, can these agencies go with these processes, things like FISA and, and as you mentioned, the counterintelligence investigation overall, before there has to be some accountability? I mean, people have been saying now, you know, what what would it take? I mean, to, to show up in a FISA court and to, as as I understand it, we, we already know the dossier was used. So an opposition research document in a political campaign was used as even if it wasn't the only thing, the fact that it was even included right. in a FISA warrant strikes me as highly, highly problematic that, you know, a Mother Jones or Yahoo News, I forget which it was, news story was included in the FISA application you know, what what has to happen for the people doing this to actually get disciplined, Andy? Yeah, that's the big question. And, you know, I think there's two things to be said about that, Buck. First is, 
as you and I both know from our prior lives, you can take information from anywhere. I mean, it's the problem here isn't that they took information from, uh, you know, an opposition campaign document. It's that they didn't corroborate it. You know, they, they, their obligation is to verify. Their own procedures say they can't bring unverified information to the FISA court. So, you know, I took information from all kinds of terrible people in 20 years as a prosecutor, but you don't bring it to court. And you don't ask anyone to rely on it until you can you can make it stand up with independent corroboration. And, and that's what they didn't do. So, that you know, I think that's one big problem. And the second big problem, I think when the history of this is finally written, what is going to end up being most important is that, you know, what, the way the FBI is supposed to work, you do these investigations at the field office level and headquarters plays the, you know, cool head role of adult supervision. Because as we all know, if we've done investigations, you know, you get very invested in your investigation and you're, you know, whether you're a prosecutor or an agent working a case, you always think that your bad guys are the worst bad guys ever, and your temptation is always to push the envelope. And oh yeah, you know that's why that's why your your headquarters and your supervisors are there to say, you know, no, we don't bring unverified information to the FISA court, or you know, no, this isn't within our procedures, or that isn't within our procedures. I think the real problem here is headquarters took over the investigation, did the investigation itself got very invested of it in it, was very invested in it from the start. And when it came time, when they wanted to do things that were outrageous things, there was nobody there to tell them, no, we don't do that. And, and I think that's the big problem. Yeah, it, it feels like, Andy, there was no meaningful oversight of this process at all. When, I mean, and, and the fact that it's a shock to people that Barr is using terms like spying and on a presidential campaign. These are facts. These are facts that are already in evidence. I, I don't I, I don't think there's any real honest debate about those aspects of it. The point that he makes about whether it's valid or not, that's what we have to look at now. But, you know, what you mentioned our, our previous lives, Andy, you know, we, there are walk ins to, you know, to, uh, you know, intelligence officers all over the world that will say, you know, bin Laden's hiding under my bed. Right. If I spun up a, a surveillance campaign based on some dude who walks in off the street and says bin Laden's hiding under my bed, and I said, well, this guy says bin Laden's under my bed, so we're going to pull his phones and everyone's phones, you know, I, I would probably lose my job. It feels like that, not in quite a silly way, but somewhat, you know, similar, happened at the FBI with a with a presidential campaign, and it's like no big deal to the people that work there. Yeah, and you know what camouflages that, Buck? It's It's the fact that they go to the FISA court, which is why I have said for, for you know, I'm, a, I'm an almost 30 years now FISA naysayer, um, because I think all it does is make sure that you don't have accountability under circumstances where it's not a, a judicial function. And what I mean by that is, you know, Justice Jackson writing for the Supreme Court, Jackson was a, a giant in both the political and legal worlds. He was uh, FDR's uh, attorney general. He was Bloomberg, and then he was ultimately on the Supreme Court. And in the 1950s, he wrote a, a, a case for the Supreme Court called Chicago Southern, which was about uh, intelligence collection. And what he said in the case was very interesting. He said, number one, judges can't be brought into the executive branch's deliberations about intelligence because it's not 
within the judicial ken. There's nothing about being a lawyer that makes you in any way expert about intelligence collection or analysis. And secondly, in our representative democratic republic, the idea is that the most important decisions that a body politic makes are the ones about its national security, and they're supposed to be decided by the people who are directly accountable to the people whose lives are at stake, namely the, your political representative. So I don't think judges should belong in this, this thicket of national security. And here we're seeing why it goes wrong. If, some, if, if you go to a judge, it, think of the, uh, the scenario you just talked about, like Laden's under my bed, or somebody come, says, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda's about to bomb something, and you, know, you have very, very thin evidence. Do you want to be the judge that tells them they can't have their warrant? Of course not. Um, and that, right. I think, is why it doesn't work. What ends up happening is these guys do wild and crazy things, and then they come to us and say, well, four Republican judges, Republican-appointed judges signed off on these warrants. And, you know, I, I mean, I just, I just think that— So FISA is a rubber stamp, Andy. I mean, FISA is a rubber stamp then, basically. Well, because yeah. what yeah. would you be if you were the judge? You're going to tell them that they can't investigate? You know, someone's about to commit a mass murder attack. 10,000 Americans may be killed. You want to be the judge to tell them they can't have their warrant? Andy, you're, yeah. We, what, when, I was, when I was in CTC and, and in the community, we, people would always talk about duty to warn. And duty to warn was the, was the explanation for a lot of really crappy stuff getting way too much attention because, to your point— yeah. No, nobody wants to be the one who says, oh, we didn't listen to this guy who was actually the tipster that saved us from, you know, having Times Square get blown up and, you know, kill a thousand people or something. So so I get it. Um, one thing before I let you go in and get back to the game, I know you got to give the uh, the third base signal to the kids to, to take home plate. Um, why didn't they? What is the explanation? What is the explanation for why they didn't tell Trump if this was a counterintelligence investigation and was really about Russia interfering, as they're now saying? Why didn't they tell the Trump campaign? Uh, I think the only way that makes sense to me, Buck, is if they were if the person they were worried about was Trump. So, you know, if it was just these guys orbiting yeah. around the campaign, then, you know, there were guys, even if, let's say you hate Trump, you can't stand Trump, you think he's a disruptor, uh, you know, whatever, and they, there was clearly anti-Trump animus there. You have a campaign where they have Chris Christie, they got Rudy Giuliani, they got Jeff Sessions, there were people who had real national security credentials, who they could easily have gone in and said, you know, look, this guy Paul Manafort, we're a little worried about him. Or, you know, we think the Russians are trying to infiltrate your campaign. And you could have had that defensive briefing, which is the normal thing, as the attorney general said they would do. And I think this whole thing would have been resolved. But who's the one person in a campaign that they're not going to kick out of the campaign? The candidate. And... I right. Think that exactly. This was always about. See, this is Keela. This was always about Trump. Right. Otherwise, there's otherwise you handle it a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Andy, just so you know, I have a feeling the kid who's up next can't hit the curveball. So give the pitcher a signal for us. All right. I, I, Thanks well, for the pitcher, making the, the time. My son and I think he just knocked him down. So that's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> go, <laughs> go tend to that. Andy. Andy McCarthy, everybody. National Review and Fox News. Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. All right, team. Live from the Little League field, we got Andy McCarthy with us, but with the best analysis you'll find anywhere on this issue of Russia collusion. 
Uh, we're going to come back for uh, uh, just uh, some some additional on this, and then we'll move topics, team. So stay right there. I like having a glass of wine to unwind or just uh, pair it with a nice meal that I've made, but I don't know very much about wine. And most people are like me. They just select whatever they think looks cool or is on sale. But I can answer any questions or problems you have with your wine selection, folks, now because of First Leaf. All right, First Leaf is a wine club that makes it easy to discover new wines that you're going to love. First Leaf has created a club experience that's customized by you. You just rate the wines you receive, and then First Leaf will determine your likes and dislikes. It's kind of like Spotify or Pandora for wines, right? You want to check this out. I've become a member, and I love it. I get my wine sent to me, and I'm learning all kinds of stuff about what I like and what I want to get more of. Sign up with my link, and you'll get an exclusive intro offer, six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. Again, tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus free shipping. Tryfirstleaf.com slash buck. There's no doubt they were spying on Trump's people in campaign. The question was, was it lawful? The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act allows you to follow around people you think are working with the foreign government. Counterintelligence investigation, by very definition, is surveilling people that you <coughs> think are spying. So the question was, it was it lawful? If the warrant was based on the dossier, that wasn't lawful. And I don't know why they did not tell Trump about people on his campaign working Senator. for Russia, if they really believe that. L Lindsey Graham making my point there. If this was a counterintelligence investigation, because you're hearing people that they've there's been so much moving of the goalposts with all this, uh, it's so much dishonesty around what really got all this going. But if this was ever really about protecting the sanctity of our elections and and making sure the Russians couldn't involve themselves, you they should have gone to the Trump campaign, to the presidential uh, nominee for the Republican Party and said, we have the following concerns about Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. And you know what happened? They, they would have said, we don't even know who those guys are, basically. And, you know, they're not a part of the campaign anymore. And there you go. Full stop. You know, and Manafort, you know, same thing. I mean, they are. He fired Manafort anyway. Manafort got fired. People always forget this. He was already tossed. So I, I just it's obvious. These people are lying to you. And that's what I, I, we, I know we spent a lot of time on this today, but I wanted to sort of have a, a, a level of preparation for you are going to be inundated with lies tomorrow. I mean, just just up to your eyeballs in people that will not tell you the truth about this. I will not tell you what the report really says or what the real meaning of it may be. They're just going to hope that, you know, because people have busy lives and other things to do, they'll believe whatever the CNN panel of four idiots who, by the way, have been wrong for the last two years about everything Mueller related, everything tying Russia collusion together. Those same pundits, I see them all on TV. They're like, we're supposed to listen to these people. Like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I know I know the whole crew over at CNN, you know, they'll still put Max Boot and Phil Mudd and, and uh, you know, all these other people that they don't know. They were wrong about everything, wrong about everything. But they're still on TV all the time. What, what is this? Why do they have any credibility? Why should you across the country flip on a TV looking to get, you know, some news, looking to be updated on what's happening in the country and look at these clowns? As they're like, oh, well, the Mueller report really says this and obstruction and blah, blah. They're going to trot out all these legal experts who were saying Trump was essentially going to get frog marched out of the White House in chains. Totally wrong.
no accountability, no lessons learned. The mainstream media is full of frauds, utter and complete frauds. Just remember that as this report drops tomorrow. This group today, under 400, created a tremendous gap in, in border security. I had to allocate, had to close down the, the checkpoint in Ajo. I had to allocate virtually an entire station to begin transporting this group of 400 to a secure location to provide care, to provide medical attention for them. This is a tactic. The cartels are using this tactic at the border. They continue to do this because they understand that right now there's all this scrutiny on Border Patrol. And if they don't bring food and medicine and blankets and and shelter to illegal aliens who are crossing en masse, doing everything they can to skip the immigration line, knowing what is going on here, knowing that what they're doing is a violation of our laws, they don't care. They're benefiting from this. They view this as something that uh, is in their interest. But it means that the cartels can exploit the security gaps that they can create. This isn't just, oh, there's 400 people who are showing up at one spot on the border um, and and saying, oh, you know, and, and then the cartels opportunistically will run fentanyl that's killing thousands of Americans, uh, you know, methamphetamine. You can't even get people to pay attention to methamphetamine in this country. Meth right now, according to the DEA, is the worst it's ever been in terms of usage, in terms of overdose, the worst it has ever been in this country. But no one even pays attention because we got such a big opioid crisis. In fact, they're running meth into, into certain communities just trying to keep the flow goings, so they can keep their addicts in place, and they're doing so at prices that they keep dropping because there's so much meth all over the place. And they're saturating the markets in some areas because there's so much meth in circulation right now. And yet we're told, oh, there's, there, it's not a security. It's only a humanitarian issue. Yet another lie being told at the border. Yet another lie. It went from there's no crisis to it's a humanitarian crisis, guess what? It's also a security crisis. It's been a law and order crisis for a long time, but now it's a real security crisis. There is poison that is being trafficked across our border to kill Americans. And it is getting into cities. You listening to this show across the country, wherever you may be, in Texas, in Indiana, in Florida, in North Carolina, in California, wherever you may be, there are drugs that are in your community that are coming across the border and they're killing people. And it's easier for them to do it because of the migrants exploiting the system, turning themselves in and saying they want asylum. These are not asylum seekers. They are economic migrants. They are people who want to be in America. Honduras is not in the midst of a civil war. These people are not fleeing because the Khmer Rouge is coming for them and going to kill everybody. That's just not reality. Same thing in El Salvador. Same thing in Guatemala. Are they poor countries? Do we wish they were in better shape? Yes, absolutely. But, you know, I always want to know, which is it? Is America supposed to fix all these places or not? I keep hearing from Democrats, from liberals, well, if we only did more in Central America, we would we would fix the, 
they they view this as a as a as a supply problem. Like there's there's a there's too much supply of people that want to come to this country because this country is great and those countries aren't great. It's a very nice way of putting it. But I'm in a nice mood today. Trump puts it a different way. Uh, but are we supposed to be responsible for making the better countries? Because I, I just, you know, when we do that, we're told we're being white supremacists, even though America is not obviously a, a country just for the white people. There's a lot of people of all different ethnicities here. America is America. But if America gets involved in the third world, we're told we're being white supremacists. We're told we're being imperialists. We're told, you know, all these, they say all these terrible things. But if we don't get involved and then we don't want to let people just flood our into our country, guess what? Then we're told that we're being, uh, you know, bad, bad stewards of, of the wealth that we have accrued, that we're not being our brother's keeper, that we're not, you know, all this stuff. So we're damned if we do, damned if we don't. We can't have a secure border. We can't take it upon ourselves to tell countries how to be better countries. That's considered a, that's a no, no now. So what are we supposed to do? This is why I understand Trump's frustration with with the whole with the whole system, with everything that's going on right now. But but even more more specifically, that the courts are acting as proxies for far left interests, that all you need is one judge in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to decide that the law is whatever he or she says it is. And that judge is in a position to override executive prerogative on the border one judge it's an outrage what's going on here so that's why trump says hey i've got an idea we're just going to move all the illegals that are crossing into sanctuary cities let the sanctuary cities deal with it and that's where you get into democrats with contradictory talking points all of a sudden hold on is is it is cory booker right when he says that moving people into sanctuary cities who are illegal aliens that just came into the country, that makes us less safe? Play nine. I think this is an empty threat by the president, though, to talk about busing people from the border into these sanctuary cities. He likes to create friction sometimes to jumpstart, he says, a Congress that's not acting. You say friction. I say he's trying to pit Americans against each other and make us less safe because what you're seeing now... So you take the threat seriously? He is injecting fear into our country. And so if he was looking to solve a problem, he wouldn't be doing things to divide this country against itself. Make us less safe how? By moving I thought I thought illegal aliens were better than Americans. I thought that illegal aliens were making communities safer all the time. I I I take this all down. I I try to use an Occam's razor approach to immigration. And if what Democrats say is true, and I don't mean one or two Democrats, I mean if the mainstream of the Democrat Party is to be taken seriously on what they are saying and what they're promoting right now, why do we have an immigration system at all? It's nonsensical. There's no reason for it. If a million people from Central America, from poor countries that don't speak English, that don't bring economic skills that we need into the country, if they're not being judged for those skills, if they're not going through the legal process and Democrats say this is going to be great, we have an obligation to do this. But not only that, it's going to be fabulous for America. If that's true, why do we have an immigration system at all? Why not just have a, you know, show up? That's what the border is. The border right now is show up, have a kid, 
Say you've got a credible fear, but show up and you're good to go. So why shouldn't that be? If what Democrats say is true, if there's no downside to this, which is what they tell us, if there's no downside, why have an immigration system at all? They won't make the honest case. They like the outcome here, but they don't want to be honest about that. They like what's happening, but they pretend that they're working with us to handle the situation. They don't want to handle it. They want to encourage it. Remember Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff? She's the one who warned, warned illegal aliens, including some who are real hardened criminals in her community, that ICE was going to conduct some raids. Right. So she she was you want to talk about obstruction. There is a public official who's obstructing federal law enforcement. And she's running around telling everybody that uh, this is going to make things better for us to make things safer. If we have all these illegal aliens, play 10. The data is very clear that immigrants and even undocumented immigrants commit far fewer crimes than non-immigrants. The data is clear. Sanctuary cities like Oakland are actually getting safer. Uh, we believe that there is safety and harmony in diversity and inclusion. But what's really outrageous is the way that this administration continues to use petty politics and really just vitriolic rhetoric to advance a racist agenda. This is not American. Lies, 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 propaganda and smears. That is what that woman just said. The data is absolutely not clear that undocumented immigrants, that's a made up term. The legal term is illegal alien. That is the legal federal code term. Undocumented is a made up thing, doesn't exist. The data is not clear that illegal aliens commit far fewer crimes. In fact, at the state level, they refuse to collect the data. State prison authorities do not have reliable data on the number of illegal aliens that are in their custody for serious crimes. They just don't have it. It's just not there. Ann Coulter wrote a whole book on the issue of what's really happening at our southern border and immigration in this country. She crunched all the numbers. She never gets the credit she deserves for the research that goes into her books. Trump took the theses of her book, Adios America, ran with it as his campaign. It's why he became president, by the way, I mean, among other reasons, but the immigration issue was what separated him from everybody else. But this, this makes no sense at all. You're going to tell me that an, under, that, that an underclass of people who are, are already in violation of the law and constantly violating the law, document fraud, social security card fraud, I mean, all kinds of stuff that they're doing. If they're going to be, they're going to commit fewer crimes? than just normal Americans, everyday Americans, of all, of all ethnicities and backgrounds? Really? Huh. That's completely counterintuitive, isn't it? But the, da- the data is not clear because they refuse to collect the data. The reason they refuse to collect the data is because if we saw the full extent of the costs to human beings' lives, as well as the cost to the taxpayer of what the illegal immigration problem has been in this country, I think there would be a real surge of outrage against the political class for selling us out on this issue. So they don't want the same reason, folks, they tell you there's 11 million. They're lying to you. They are lying to you. There are not 11 million illegals. We're going to have a million just this year. 
Well, the number next year, I guarantee it'll be 11.6 million. I mean, you know, it's just nonsense. It is nonsense. There are so many organizations and groups that have a vested interest in, in propaganda around the issue of illegal immigration, pretending that they have all these facts and figures to back them up that they really don't. But there are people who are very invested in this. Invested in continuing this lie. I'm trying to get answers and get the truth. And the more I talk to people who know this issue, the more you realize this is this has been a swindle. I mean, the, the, much of the meat, most, almost all of the media has been complicit in this. Republicans have been complicit in this. It is a massive, multi-decade, systematic ignoring of laws that are on the books. And as somebody who just had to write a big fat check to the federal government because of other laws on the books, I got to tell you, I resent that there are two legal codes, one for illegal aliens and one for the rest of America. Either the laws count or they don't, not just on immigration, on everything. I'm not even, I'm just, I'm just beginning to fight here. I'll be back in just a moment. Right now, if you are the president of the United States, we have overflowing yes. facilities. They need to go somewhere because they're in that asylum what about building? Where would you put them? What about building proper facilities for them right now? Where? That can be done Where? I'm right on the border, location. right on the border at the same time. So the people who live on the border should have more facilities in their states, but sanctuary cities which have said they're right, open to accepting people should not take more. Now, this is a political act no, on the president. No, it's not. It's a real question. That's a real question. No, it's not a real question. Yes, it is. It's it is a real question. Why shouldn't sanctuary cities, why should this be a border problem? This is a national problem. Why should communities along the border have to bear the brunt of all of this? That's a, that's a completely legitimate. I mean, good for Martha McCallum for standing up to Bernie's nonsense. Which is what he's offering up, by the way. Nonsense. I mean, he, he is somebody who, to win the left, which he needs in order to become the nominee for the Democrats, to win the left, what you're going to find is Bernie Sanders all of a sudden dropping this whole pretense about how he's somebody who is is going to care about the American worker and has a remember he was saying some of that when he was trying to beat Hillary when he was trying to win the white working class vote when he was up against Hillary in the primary but he's going to get rid of that real fast all of a sudden now Bernie Sanders is also turning into an open borders guy you know I, I saw that there's this uh change that's happening now because of attorney general Barr. Uh, attorney general Barr is ha, has stated that you can be held in detention if you are an illegal you can be held in detention for a whole lot longer than was previously the case this was on uh, msnbc today attorney general william Barr weighed in on an immigration case tuesday establishing a precedent that could affect thousands of migrants at the southwest border seeking asylum. Barr, in his decision, said asylum seekers who begin an expedited removal in which they're not given the right to see a judge and are then transferred to full removal proceedings in which they make their case before a judge should not be released on bond. It means that thousands of asylum seekers who once would have been out on bond and living in the U.S. while awaiting a decision will now be kept in detention centers where the wait times are now climbing from months to a year. This ruling gives Immigration and Customs Enforcement the legal authority to detain all these people indefinitely, according to a uh, Migration Policy Institute scholar here. 
that's if they have the capacity. So I think the actual effect of this ruling will be severely limited by ISIS capacity. This is going to go into effect in 90 days. Look, this isn't a game changer decision, but it's at least looking at the authority that Immigration and Customs Enforcement has and the Department of Justice has to say, no more of this free pass nonsense, okay? We got to stop just letting everybody who shows up into America and then, hey, can you show up for your asylum hearing? And, you know, it's very frustrating because people say, oh, they show up for their asylum hearing. First of all, no, they don't. More than half of them do not show up for their asylum hearing. It's about 60% don't show. And even once they show for the asylum hearing, and if they're denied, they can then, they then automatically get these asylum, these quote asylum seekers. They're not asylum seekers. That's what they're calling themselves. They can get legal process to challenge the deportation order. I mean, folks, if it's going to take 10 years to deport one immigrant who comes into this country illegally and says he wants asylum, we're done. What's the point? They're not going to they're not going to deport them all in, in the next 50 years. It's just not going to happen. So the system is is completely the system isn't just broken. They are breaking the system. It is a purposeful action. These asylum seekers and the left wing Democrats have helped them break our immigration system. That is what they have done. They have smashed it with a hammer. Crazy leftists tried to stop Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire from speaking at a campus earlier this month. Before that, Candace Owens was told the University of Pennsylvania that she should go the something something home. And people are crazy on campus now whenever a conservative shows up because the left has radicalized and they've radicalized the campuses. We need to fight back. The campuses are training the next generation. And right now they're being trained to be leftist lunatics. The Leadership Institute stands athwart this trend. They are the premier organization for educating and training conservative college students to stand up for their ideas and fight for conservatism on campus. Please help the Leadership Institute today. You can have a role in this fight. Just go to TakeBackTheCampus.org to make your urgent gift to the Leadership Institute today. That's TakeBackTheCampus.org. As little as $5 a month would really help takebackthecampus.org. That I like um, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's proposed Green New Deal. Is it a call to another time in this country's past when we faced an existential challenge? In that case, it was to our way of life, to the Western democracies, to our allies in Europe, to our fellow Americans. In the midst of the Great Depression, this country, was willing to sacrifice men and women all over the United States to make sure that we defeated Germany and that we won that war and for the following 75 years that we made this world safe for democracy. The Green New Deal calls that sacrifice and service and scale, scale of commitment to mind when it talks about the challenges that we face today. The Green New Deal, folks, Beto O'Rourke wants you to know that he thinks the Green New Deal is as big of a deal as fighting the Nazis was. He thinks that the commitment, the willingness to to sacrifice, and you heard him there. That those are those are Beto's words. He just like really believes that if we all just come together and open our hearts, we can reach this like new nirvana where it's like the Green New Deal is going to be like World War II. 
unfathomably stupid stuff from a guy who is is flaming out very fast, very early in this Democrat primary, I have to say. Uh, I think uh, Mayor Pete's stealing Beto's lunch. That's what's happening here. But think about what he's really saying. 60 million people, roughly, I think the estimates are 40 to 60 million died uh, military and civilian in World War II. Six zero million. That is a lot of people. Uh, To compare that struggle for global civilization, really, to the Green New Deal, a policy proposal, the brainchild of whom is, or, 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 or who is the, the, the person who came up with this, I was going to say the brainchild of whom is brainless, but I'm not sure that really works. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Ocasio-Cortez is somebody who I would not trust to run an $11 a bottle juice stand, which there's a lot of now in D.C., I, I noticed. And yet here, well, I guess she was a bartender, so maybe she actually would do a pretty good job with that. Um, this is crazy talk, though from Beto O'Rourke. This is crazy to say that the Green New Deal should spur sacrifice on this scale of the U.S. during the Second World War? I mean, what, what a, a a complete undermining and, and a disregard for the very real sacrifices and, and bravery and, and heroism and, and horrors and atrocities that were on display in the Second World War. I mean, do liberals realize how stupid they sound? Now, maybe maybe they just don't care. That's a very, very dumb thing to say. But when you look at what's come out today about the not-so-charitable Democrats, people like Beto, who, remember, Beto O'Rourke is a guy who's very, very, very rich because he married very, very rich. He's, he's pulled the John Kerry. By the way, John Kerry married rich not once, but twice. That's very lucky, isn't it? So Beto marries into a very rich family, like Mitt Romney-level rich, you know, like around there. Not quite billions, I think, but in the hundreds of millions. Real estate developer family. And he's telling all of us, he's going around, I'm just like doing all the social media and I just want everyone. He's doing all this stuff. Any of you want to guess what percentage of Beto's income he gave to charity in the most recent year for which he put out returns? Anyone want to guess? 0.3% of his income. Now, I'm sorry, but if you're going to run around talking about, quote, World War II level sacrifice to tackle the imaginary problem of CO2 melting the planet, and that is what they think is happening Too much CO2 means we all melt. The seas rise, the ice caps melt, there's, you know, climate change. Although they they keep changing what climate change is, so it's really hard to disprove because the moment it's disprovable, they say, well, that's not climate change. Something else is climate change. And this is, uh, I I really, and I mean this, and I, I don't just say this to be glib, although it's a fun thing to say. Climate change is a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. And so with our increasingly militantly secular Western world, people are desperate for purpose. They're desperate to feel like they're a part of something bigger and more important than just, you know, grinding it out in some cubicle somewhere, hoping their boss doesn't notice that they leave 10 minutes early. So being a part of this 
World War II level effort, as Beto sees it, to save the planet, that gives people a lot of meaning all of a sudden. You know, now, now you really can, can hold your head high and perhaps more importantly for liberals, look down on the other side with disdain. Remember, it's not the, the climate change hysteria that Beto and all of the every single Democrat candidate believes in this stuff. It is now mandatory in the Democrat to be a Democrat today. It is mandatory that you praise uh, and, and uh, love the Green New Deal and climate change hysteria, uh, abortion, all nine months of a pregnancy, including post-pregnancy abortion. You have to be on board for all of that. You have to be on board for intersectionality and identity politics. There is no room anymore for heretics in the Democratic Party. There hasn't been any room on these issues for a long time. But all these different Democrats believe this. They all buy into this notion that we face an, an existential threat. And I just would note that if we really did face an existential threat, shouldn't they be willing to take more personal action? You know, if, if I really thought that what I was doing every day was contributing to the destruction of the planet, I would change my, I would alter my behavior. I really would. I really would. But I don't believe that. So I don't alter my behavior and I hate recycling. And you know that. And I eat lots of red meat. And I don't care about the methane from the cows. Take that libs. I saw some CNN. I mean, CNN as if they don't have enough fake news that has something about, oh, one piece of bacon a day increases your chance of, of colon cancer. You know, living increases your, your chances of colon cancer. I mean, give me a break. You know, you, you want to never worry about cancer risk? Don't be alive. Otherwise, everything causes cancer these days. And, you know, to, to go after my beloved bacon, CNN, you know, is there no limit to your fake news, CNN? But the ability that the Green New Deal philosophy, this climate change hysteria gives Democrats to to sneer and snicker at the other side is also a very important thing to them because you're seeing, you know, Beto tried to present himself early on. And you can see these dynamics in the Democratic Party play out in a way where, you know, there's it's instructive for us to see this. Well, what is the Democratic Party really? You're seeing it evolve before your eyes in real time. Beto's whole thing was, you know, I'm just going to like always wear a blue shirt with my sleeves rolled up. And like housewives who are libs are just going to think that I'm like so handsome and charming. And like then the rest of the country will come along. That was his plan. But he wasn't going to be a brawler. He wasn't going to be a, a fighter. Well, that all changed because now he's losing ground that he knows it. So what does he do? He does what libs always want to do. Just trash the other side. They're bad people with bad ideas and forget about their ideas. Bad morals. Bad brains. Bad hearts. Bad, bad, bad. Play clip five. It's not just that he's partisan. It's not just that he is divisive. He's hateful. He is racist. He's encouraging the worst tendencies amongst our fellow Americans. He's hateful. He's racist. These are, I know we've become slightly um, immune to this, or, or at least we've become far too used to it. But these are horrible things to say about the President of the United States. Absolutely terrible things. And yet they're said by the most prominent Democrats in the country regularly. They're said by uh, revered pundits and anchors on, on various anti-Trump news channels, which is 
all of them really except for one. And there's no pushback on this. Why Why is Trump a racist? Oh, because of the comment about Mexico's not sending us their best? I mean, that's, that's a manifestly true uh, comment. Mexico is not sending its, uh, its educated elite, because there is an educated elite in Mexico, that's sending them across the border. They're not sending their engineers and their PhDs and their... Uh, they're MDs and, you know, from the look, that doesn't make you a better person than somebody who's a field laborer. But from the immigration perspective, we do have this whole system, believe it or not, where we're supposed to care about the skills that people have and what they bring to the economy. And yeah, from that perspective, Mexico is not sending us their best it, when you're looking at the illegal population, which is a vast majority of Mexican immigration into this country. So. They say he's racist for that. That's just a an observation that maybe is politically incorrect, but it's true. And then saying that there are rapists and murders, that is also true. I, no, no serious human being thinks that everyone who comes across the border from Mexico or any other country, for that matter, is a bad person, is a rapist. That, that was obviously not what Trump was saying, and it's not what Trump believes. But they pretend that's what he says and he believes. You know, if he were so bad... They wouldn't have to misrepresent so many of the things that he says. You know, when Trump on that open mic, such dirty politics, we forget that, too. You know, uh, ABC just held on to that until the moment for I could do maximum damage to Trump. October surprise time. You know, when he said grab them by the you know what? um, He wasn't saying that he assaults women. He's saying he's very sexually aggressive because he's a celebrity. That's not the same thing. It's just not. So why do they have to keep lying about him all the time if what he says is so bad? If he's such a racist and so terrible, why do they have to? Oh, that's right. Because this is who the Democrats are. They misrepresent, they propagandize, and they're unrepentant, just like the media is unrepentant about all the Russia collusion stuff. They've just decided that they're dug in on their side and they're dug in on hating Trump. And even Beto, who was supposed to be like this, as I've said, you know, soul cycle instructor mixed with an Aaron Sorkin character. Turns out that he's actually kind of nasty, too, when it comes to Trump. I'm sick of all these punk Democrats. I really am. In an era of all kinds of Photoshop and fakery going on online, you need to make sure that whoever you're hiring is the person you think you're hiring, that their background check comes out clean and that everything is going to be just fine. That's why I want you to partner with my friends at Global Verification Network. Whatever business you're in, whatever size it is, whatever industry, anywhere in the country, Global Verification Network is your answer for all background investigation and vetting needs, all right? It's really easy to find them. Just go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com, or you can call 877-695-1179. Again, 877-695-1179. 1179 Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company and they do all their work here unlike a lot of their competitors please give them a call 877-695-1179 tell them team buck sent you Myself and Han and all of us we, we watch that people are policing what we say I mean I constantly there people are literally policing but what do you mean by that Rashida? do you condemn this I was like I don't know did you condemn that you know, like, I, no, really. Um, I don't know. Did you condemn it? Why are you asking if I condemn it? Honestly, I've never felt more Palestinian than I ever felt in, in Congress. Even in Palestine, when I'm visiting my grandmother, 
I'm more American-American, like to the Palestinian, but I'm more Palestinian in the halls of Congress than I am anywhere in the country in the world. Um, and that just tells you just the fact that they weren't ready for us. They really weren't, but we were ready for this. That's Rashida Tlaib, one of the favorite far-left Democrats now in Congress, uh, female of, of uh, Palestinian descent. And she, along with Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, have really kind of formed this left-wing radical fringe of the Democratic Party that's no longer a fringe. That's increasingly driving the conversation and directing a lot of what is going on in not just media circles, but behind the scenes for the Democrats. I mean, Pelosi can be dismissive of them as much as she wants, but the, the truth is that they wield, they wield real power. Uh, this far left contingent of the Democrat Party. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez, mark my words, I know you can never disprove this, but Ocasio-Cortez, if she were old enough, would be running for president and she would be in the top three right now. And, and I think there's a very good chance that she would actually win the nomination. She's a know-nothing. She's not, she's not very nice to people. She's incredibly condescending and arrogant and not smart. But Democrats don't care. They don't care. They, they just, they're in love with the concept of Ocasio-Cortez. She is, for them, the vessel for their left-wing progressivism. So it doesn't matter that she doesn't have any record of success or wisdom or judgment or expertise. None of that matters. She checks off the boxes that the left obsesses over. Diversity, radical leftism, Marxism, all that stuff. The things that really get the the contemporary Democrat left excited, Ocasio-Cortez exemplifies that. And that is what matters to them more than anything else. Um, this, this, uh, this story you keep hearing from the Democrats is that there's something really unfair and, and, you know, their, people are being really nasty to Ilhan Omar in particular. I mean, Rashida Tlaib saying she never feels more Palestinian than she's walking around Congress. Well, what I, I, and I say this, I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. I mean, I could guess at what she's trying to say, but it's just such a strange comment. I mean, you don't feel more um, you don't feel more American walking around the halls of Congress. Uh, I think whoever elected Rashida Tlaib should should rethink that decision. Feel more Palestinian than ever. Why? You're, you're representing an American congressional district. She is. This, this is part of leftism. There's no gratitude on the left. There's no sense of. I am, to be in America at this time, I am so lucky. This country is incredible. We are so, yes, that's right, I'm going to say it, so rich, so free, so prosperous. It's in, This place is amazing. It's not perfect. I got a lot of problems, too. I mean, we talk about all that every day. But if you're really taking a step back, America's incredible. And the left always just wants to knock it down and talk about how unjust it is and unfair it is and bad it is. You know, it's like they really want to live somewhere else. You know, I got to tell you, a lot of these leftists have a very superficial understanding of these other countries that they hold up as, you know, oh, look at Japan. They've got a great healthcare system. And, you know, 
yeah, okay, Japan is a is a truly xenophobic country. They do not want outsiders. They do not want immigrants at all, period, full stop. Uh, you look at a lot of these European countries, and you're, you're just in the early stages of seeing what assimilation is really going to look like for them with the mass migration, particularly from the, from the Muslim world. You know, they, they hold up these other countries as exemplars for us. Uh, the left does this without even really understanding what it's like in these countries. You know, they, they talk about Sweden like it's some kind of utopia. Meanwhile, Sweden's business climate is very friendly and very anti-regulation. And they just, everyone pays really high taxes. And that's what, that's the, that's the way it is. It's very unlikely you're going to become a, uh, you know, a wealthy Swede if you're born without a lot of money. You know, very unlikely you have that possibility. But, you know, this just takes me to, the, there's a fundamental difference in philosophy between the left and the right. Uh, on how, where this country should go and how it should be governed. And we are seeing it in more clear terms now than at any time, really, in my lifetime, I think. We're not arguing over the means to get to the same place anymore in this country between Democrats and Republicans. We are now arguing over, we're trying to get to different places. Democrats want to make this a different country from what you and I see it as. They want different economic policies, different relationship between citizen and state, different immigration policies. Yeah, we, we are we are coming apart at the seams politically. I'll have more on this for you in just a moment. I try to pick my words with care. I try not to use tough, pejorative yeah. terms against people. But she is a radical. What she has espoused, mm -hmm. both in terms of her anti-Semitic points of view and the dismissive way she approached what happened on September 11th, is the thinking of a radical. A radical who is now an elected member of Congress, a radical who can get the fellow Democrats in Congress not to condemn her actual words because of the power of the progressive block in Congress, the more than five people that Nancy Pelosi is wisely worried about. This is a creeping radicalism inside the Democratic Party, and it's only growing worse. You know, I think Nancy Pelosi showed that she's starting to get fed up. Very interesting. Nancy Pelosi knows what she's doing. And she would not have thrown shade in those two statements about AOC if she didn't think she needed to. She's sending a signal to the but other Democrats all... in the caucus that you need to step up. You need to fight her, too. Never thought I'd say this, but I'm rooting for Pelosi. At least, you know, Pelosi is a progressive, a hypocrite, a transactionalist, uh, you know, and, and in many ways is just completely wrong and, and untakeable on a whole bunch of issues. But at least you know what you're dealing with with Pelosi. AOC, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Ilhan Omar, these are people who are radicals. These are people who take a very different view of where this country should go and what justice is in this country. These are people that have gotten elected to high office and I think have shown us that they do not share some very basic and, and fundamental principles with the rest of American society. Ideologically, all right? See, this is where left say, like, oh, it's because they're, they're women of color. No, it's not. Right? This is, I, I, I hate that crap. When the left, the left does that all the time. Oh, it's because, no, it's not. I, I give just as much of a hard time to Elizabeth Warren, a fake woman of color, uh, you know, somebody who fraudulently claimed to be a minority, 
as I do to th these other three, but, you know, Warren's a transactionalist, too. She's not quite as radical in her rhetoric as these new members of Congress are. You know, does anyone think for a second that, you know, if, if AOC took the policies of Ted Cruz, who is also Latino, uh, you know, I, I think AOC was fantastic. But, you know, even the fact that you can feel the need to explain yourself in this, Oh, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this because of racial issues or whatever. This is what they want. They want to put you on defense right away. You can't talk about the issues. My problem with these new freshman members of Congress, Tlaib, Omar, and AOC, is that they don't know what they're talking about. When they do know what they're talking about, it's very radical. And it's very unwise for the country. And I think that they're nasty and don't understand the damage that they would do if they got their way. That, that's my problem with them. There's, I have no other problems with them. Those are my problems. And yet, we know what the left is going to do. They're going to say, oh, how could you oppose this radical left contingent of the Democrat Party? It must, there must be something else, you see. There must be something else going on here. And this is where Beto, for example, steps in, trying to build his left-wing street cred. And he goes after Trump for, oh, why? Oh, that's right. Going after Ilhan Omar, Beto defends her and says that Trump is, oh, you guessed it, inciting violence. Play 21. This latest incitement to hatred and violence, posting a video, the president, on his own Twitter account, not retweeted, but formulated by his own team that conflates a Muslim member of Congress, Representative Ilhan Omar, duly elected by her constituents in Minnesota with the terrorists who perpetrated the attack on 9-11. At the end of the video saying, we will never forget. So were the lives of other Muslims in this country. Her life is in danger, he says. Uh, I'm sorry, but I know a lot of prominent figures on the right who received death threats and who are the targets of, of very nasty public criticism. They called the president of the United States, and Beto still does, mind-bogglingly, a traitor. Treason is legally punishable by the death penalty in this country. Democrats were actually, repeatedly, for two years, calling the president a traitor to his country, a Russian asset. And they want to tell us about overheated rhetoric? They want to tell us about, oh, putting somebody in jeopardy by, by criticizing them publicly? Look, Ilhan Omar said something incredibly stupid and insensitive. She should take the L, take the loss for it, and move on. But no, they want to create a special, a special dispensation for Omar and AOC. Oh, if they say something terrible and you call them out for it, it must be because you're racist. It can't be because they're just saying stupid stuff that they should be held to account for. Oh, no, no, no. Speech equals violence is one of the most disgraceful and dishonest things that the Democrats push these days. And they're not giving up on it because even though you and I know that this is complete garbage, it works in a lot of cases. And unfortunately, it works far too often. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call.
Indeed. Let me touch town. I'm going to get it because I've been waiting to take it from the friend zone to the end zone. Trying to take it to the house, baby. Let's go. I've been waiting all night. It's roll call time. That's right. Roll call time, everybody. If you want in on the action, it's very easy. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Let's get to it, shall we? Let's start the no. Bring the noise. I'll tell you that today I was on set at uh, Rising and someone we, we had a, uh, a no show guest today after the show. So sometimes we, we post tape or pre tape people for Rising at the Hill and we had a no show guest and it was just a misunderstanding. It was we were going to have uh, this guest later on in the week. Uh, no problem. But the no show guest, uh, you know, we, I, I, I usually give them about a five minute grace period when I'm on set. And then I'm like, all right. And I just muttered to myself, someone said to me, Buck, what are you going to do? And I said, I just decided to go on living my life. Uh, and the guys of the crew, to their credit, immediately caught that as a reference to forgetting Sarah Marshall, where Aldous Snow is given the mixtape by Jonah Hill who is playing a kind of overeager uh, hotel employee at the Turtle Bay Resort on the north side of Oahu. So a place I would like to go check out myself at some point. He's like, did you get a chance to listen to my mixtape? And he goes, no, I just I just went on living my life. Uh, so it was good times. They all caught that one today. I was very proud of my TV crew that their their movie quote skills are are, are not quite black belt. I'd say I'd say red belt level. Or is that higher than Black Belt? We've already been through this a million times. Kirk writes, just a thought, Buck. I think Robert Mueller has two reports. One he made while thinking he was turning it into Rosenstein. Then, boom, along comes Bill Maher, and Mueller had to change the report around because I think it is a, he is afraid of Barr, and he knows Barr is going to clean up. Keep up the great work, Buck. I enjoy your podcast. We need to expose those darn liberals. And I'd love to see the Trump bus all I would love to see Trump bus all the illegals right to Nancy's neighborhood. I don't think that's going to happen, but I would just say this to you that uh, Trump in, in a way that I look, sometimes Trump does things and I think it's not the right move. And I, I admit this. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then he does it. And I go, oh, that's why he did that. He's not really going to bust these illegal aliens into these communities. But by merely saying it, he exposed that liberals deep down recognize that illegals from the third world who come with very limited skills, little if any English language uh, predominantly, and a, a lot of needs and, and problems are not a, a huge you know, boon to the local economy in, in certain places. And in fact, Professor... Borjas from Harvard, who has done the most extensive uh, research on what immigration, illegal immigration specifically does to wages, says the problem is that you, they always try to measure it at a national level. So you say, well, you know, wages nationally have not been affected by. But you can't, um, you know, you can't say for you, you won't see anything at the national level. What you will see, though, is for uh People who are carpenters, you know, day laborers, um, people that are involved in, in sort of tradesmen professions in southern Arizona, there will be a drop in wages. 
and it'll last for a few years. You may say, well, Buck, they could go somewhere else to find jobs. Okay, do you want to leave your community because all of a sudden wages go down dramatically? Wages go down, you know, 15 or 20 percent. 15 or 20 percent drop matters a lot if you're making 35, 40 grand a year. That's a lot. So, yeah, I don't think he'll. But Trump, Trump exposed them for the hypocrisy, which I didn't at first. I thought, why would he want to? Because a lot of the illegals want to go to the sanctuary cities. And, oh, it's not about what the illegals want. It's about what the libs are going to do in reaction to Trump. Kristen. Hello from Seattle. Well, I'm on vacation. Thankfully, you have the podcast and I just listen while I'm doing the tourist thing. Shields high. Fight the good fight. Well, Kristen, I hope you're having a great time up in Seattle. You know, I have never been to Seattle. I have never been to that city. I've been to Portland, which is the closest I've ever gotten. I'd be very curious to check out uh, Seattle, Vancouver. I hear is beautiful, very expensive for real estate, but I'm not looking to buy a house. So that doesn't really bother me. Well, yeah, uh, I hope you're having a great time in Seattle. People tell me very good things. Most of what I know about Seattle, I've learned from the show Grey's Anatomy, which is not a show that previous girlfriends in my life had made me watch more episodes of than I care to admit on national radio. It is not that show that they made me watch lots of episodes of so that I know some of the characters names and backstories. And it's not that show. That is not Grey's Anatomy that I'm talking about. Maybe I know some stuff about Seattle from that show. Okay, Glenn. Hey, Buck. Love your show and the beard. Boom! High five for the beard. Thank you. The beard has grown on people. The beard has grown on me. I live in Massachusetts, and when I went to the gas station the other day, I was shocked to see marijuana for sale at the counter. I thought they could only sell it at uh, dispensaries. Makes me concerned about access to children if it's easy to obtain. Thanks for all you do. Shields high. Glenn, you know, it was some years ago when I saw a a giant, like, uh, you know, weed truck. And not for, like, Roundup weed stuff. I mean, marijuana truck that was just driving around New York City uh, selling edibles. A truck that had weed advertised on it. And now, I guess New York has more or less decriminalized. And I, I don't know the specifics of the laws here, but... Look, I here's where I come down on this uh, marijuana. I do not I do not approve. I do not like marijuana. I do not think it's good for people. But a lot of things aren't good for people. You know, sometimes I have two or three glasses of tequila. That's not good for me. But I, I also don't think anybody should lose their lose their future, their livelihood, their uh, go to prison because marijuana is is simply scientifically not a deadly substance. It's just not. People can argue argue with me about this all day. Now, you could say, Buck, if you drive. Yeah, but that's true of alcohol, too. All right. It can it can slow down your reflexes and your hurt your decision making. But that's true of a lot of things. Now, you should see what Buck is like without caffeine in the morning. I look like something from Night of the Living Dead. I am not fun without caffeine in the morning. Is that a subtle or maybe not so subtle addiction? Well, yes, of course. But is anyone in, is anyone including myself in danger because of my two cups of black rifle coffee every morning? Of course not. Maybe my three cups or four. So uh, I, I think that marijuana should be decriminalized. That doesn't mean that I advocate the usage of marijuana. And I, I also think that it's a good. There are going to be societal costs um, that we need to understand where there are going to be uh, people who abuse it. And, and that's very bad. But just compare marijuana to fentanyl. People can overdose and die from fentanyl the first time very easily. It is not hard to do. I've spoken to world-renowned, a world-renowned scientist on this show, Dr. Bertha Madras at Harvard's 
uh, biochemistry labs. I think that's what they call it. It's something like that. Today, we had a guy on from the National Science Foundation on Rising to talk about the black hole. And, you know, there there are not that many areas of life where expertise really does leave you like, huh? But that was one of them. I was like, so you're telling me that there's this black hole and that matter disappears in the black hole, but we don't know where it goes or what happens to it. That's correct, Buck. Huh. I offered up, though, that I know what happens when you go into the black hole. You escape from the Klingons. That's all you need to know. Um, as for uh, marijuana laws in Massachusetts, Glenn, obviously you got me on a tangent here. I, I can't speak specifically to them. I don't really know what's going on in Massachusetts. I used to be uh, at least a college resident of Massachusetts. Lovely state. Great people. Bad politics. Uh, I love Boston. Boston's, man. I I've been to Boston once for a real weekend. And I just happened to, I went up there for a wedding and it was, I mean, we had perfect weather. It was just beautiful, man. Boston. I, I like Boston. I have to say it's a really, it's a special town. I wish I had spent more time there when I was in college, but it was in the winter time. I'm probably not as excited as I am about Boston in May. You know, right now would be a great time to go visit. Uh, I'm not a super cold weather guy. Um, here we go. Uh, William writes, Buck, I think I have your liberal podcast ad issue solved. It's only coming through the podcast feed of iHeart. If you listen anyplace else, especially the Himalaya app, there's no such ad. Keep up the good work. Thank you from Pennsylvania. Shields high. Well, thank you, William, for doing a bit of a deep dive into this. I appreciate it very much. Uh, William writes, I am algorophobic. I am terrified of all things Al Gore, Tipper Gore, Babum Ching, Shields high. Wah, wah. Thanks, William. Appreciate you sharing that one. I like a groaner. You know, sometimes you gotta get gotta let a groaner joke out there. You, you can't be shy with the groaner. Uh, here we go. Nope. Is that really your name? Nope. Writes. Hey, Buck. Just listened to an ad-free Monday podcast. Thanks for getting rid of those. Now, please get a big boy email. Love the impressions on the humor. Der Kaiser Wilhelm gets me every time. Guten Tag, Kaiser Mister. It's been a long time. Yeah, Max Schnell. Shields high. Remember, it's all in the reflexes. Nope. That's a yup, because I agree. Team, we've got an exciting show for you tomorrow because the Mueller report's going to be out. It's going to be wild. Be sure to tune in. Be sure to tell somebody to download the podcast. Talk to you then. Shields high. Trump isn't tired of winning yet, my friends. After 2,800 subpoenas, 500 search warrants, 19 lawyers attempting to time to Russian interference in the election, President Trump has triumphed again. Show your support and help celebrate this incredible milestone by owning one of Noble Gold's 2020 President Trump Freedom Coins. One side magnificently depicts an image of Donald J. Trump, while the other lists his major achievements. This commemorative one-ounce coin is the only presidential Trump coin made of 99.9% .9 silver, not silver plating, and is IRA approved. As the price of silver rises, so will the value of these coins. You want to hold on to this collector's item for generations. Just go to TrumpCoin2020.com and use code BUCK to save $5 off each coin. Again, text BUCK to 511511. Or go to TrumpCoin2020.com and use code BUCK to save $5 per coin. TrumpCoin2020.com. Use code BUCK, $5 off each coin. Standard text rates may apply.